Hey, I'm Father Roderick, and the sound you hear in the background is the sound of this uh, warning system because a train is going to pass by. I'm on my bike, actually. I'm heading towards uh, the woods on a nice, sunny evening. It's almost uh, evening, late afternoon. And uh, it's pretty warm, the sun is shining, so I figured I'd I'd just take my bike and uh, go for a walk in the forest because at least there I'll be in the shadow. But before I can get to the woods, I gotta wait for the trains. And uh, this train is just leaving in the direction of Utrecht and Rotterdam. And there are more bikers waiting for the for the for the tracks to be clear and safe and some cars as well so here we go and then right after I cross the tracks the train tracks I can turn to the left and there is a special biking lane that heads straight into the woods this goes in the direction of uh, Soest which is part of the new parish that I'll be working in after the summer and uh, we're going to bike along the the uh, southern border of the um, uh, the zoo we have a zoo in in Armstrong and now that I mention it I don't think that I've ever taken you to the zoo not in my podcast nor in uh, in my videos so that may actually be worth it to to do that and to uh, go explore of course a zoo audio wise is always interesting because of the sounds of the animals and gives me something to talk about <laughs> so here on my right is still the parking lot I'm already surrounded by beautiful green trees the sun is shining through the leaves and it's setting so it's this nice yellow orange light and uh, I think the sun is going to set in about an hour or two, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, I've been running here quite a bit. This is, I'm on a bike. It almost feels like I'm cheating because this is one of my favorite parts of the... This is a forest on the western side of the city where I live. And um, this is one of my favorite places to go run very early in the morning on Sunday. I think I shared with you that... Uh, now that I'm training for the marathon, the distances that I have to run on Sundays are getting longer and longer. And I think this Sunday, I have to run 18 miles. And then the, the day before, on Saturday, um, it's, uh, I think, half of that, so 9 or 10 miles. So that's a pretty big total. That's 28 miles in two, just two days. And in order to uh, keep it interesting for myself always trying to run in different directions so sometimes i just go north to the uh, kind of open land uh lots of um farmland still there and then at one point you'll head uh, you'll you'll um, bump to the water actually it's what would used to be an inner sea now it's it's uh it's closed uh, on the northern side of the netherlands and so it's a uh, sweet i think it's sweet water i'm not sure maybe like a something between sweet water and salt water. Um, and they've uh, created, um, they call polders over there. So they, they've uh, 
uh, used sand and whatnot, rubble, to create land out of um, out of that what used to be sea. It's really nice. Sometimes I go to the to the to the east. Also, lots of nice hills and forests there. And now I'm in, on the west side, and here on my right, it's quite stunning. Is a massive brontosaurus. I'm not. I'm not kidding you. This <laughs> this is the uh, dinosaur part of the zoo, and it's actually really well done because they've created these life-size dinosaurs. This is probably one of the biggest ones. And uh, but instead of putting them in a park where you can get up close and it, and you can tell that they're fake. These, these dinosaurs are really in the woods, so they, they just place them in the wilderness. So you, you kind of bump into them, and it's always a bit... I don't know, it, it just makes an impression on me, like, like, what is that? Wait a minute, that's a huge dinosaur. And uh, on sa- Sunday morning, I was running here, I was a bit distracted. And uh, so for these long distances, of course, I, I got to wake up really early. So I was running here, I, I think at 6.30 a.m., and I, I hear these dinosaur sounds... <laughs> Because they were, I think, booting up the park or something like that. This is a big German train. So this this part of the forest is uh, alongside the train tracks, and this is a big German train that heads to Rotterdam. Lots of industrial cargo. It's a little bit loud. <laughs> Well, I guess that, that's the end of my plan to go into a nice, calm, quiet forest. Holy moly. <laughs> uh, well, there you go. The German train is, is now gone and a quiet peace will return. <laughs> Not to worry, I'll be, turning, I'll, I'll be uh, taking a turn to the right soon. Oh, there's another train coming from Rotterdam in The Hague. Always our nice yellow-blue colored trains. Excellent uh, branding. So I'm going to turn to the right very soon. And then uh, we actually have sand dunes in the middle of this uh, forest. Always makes me think of Star Wars for some reason. Sand. <laughs> and it's, it's really pretty. The nature uh, around this city is actually quite diverse. And uh, some, of, some of you actually have visited me here. And um, I remember biking here with Cliff Ravenscraft. It must be three years ago now, something like that. He was uh, doing a tour of Europe, and uh, on the last two days, I think he, he was in the Netherlands. And so he visited me, and together we, we took a bike. This was before, or kind of at the, the start, probably, of his, uh, his huge physical transformation. <laughs> and uh, still have the photos of that biking tour and uh, we both look quite different now <laughs> although I think the cliff has changed even more than I do than I did speaking of which actually I have lost a few more pounds thanks to my ketogenic uh, lifestyle recently I think here we can turn to the right I'm not sure if this is going to bring me to the sand dunes but well just well we'll, we'll, we'll see I think I have to go to the left after this um, I need to park my car, my car, my bike somewhere actually, because this is called the the walk, not the bike ride. I don't want to be uh, cheating my way <laughs> to uh, 
the end of this this uh, podcast. So I've lost um, a total of eight point something kilograms. So I guess that's like sixteen pounds or something like that. It's it's tremendous in such a short time. If you actually, if I look at the um, the st- statistics in my what is it, my Fitness Pal app. And I look at the last 90 days, and you can tell at one point I, I weighed... I was the heaviest that I've ever been, like 82 kilograms. And then, all of a sudden, there's this free fall. <laughs> and I'm only two, three pounds away from, uh, from, the, from the, the weight that I want to have. You know what? Here is a small path that goes to the left, if I'm not mistaken. And I've, I've been filming here quite a bit. Um, and this is actually for horses. I get off my bike here. But that also makes it very quiet. I'm just going to park my bike here. Um, hopefully nobody will steal it. So I'll try to put it out of sight. I do have a lock on the bike, but... Eh. Nowadays, they will even steal bikes with locks and all, and they will uh, they'll just remove the the locks later <laughs> in the garage. So let me close this here. You know, there's some contact sounds because I put the microphone on the back of my bike. Okay, bike is parked. Now there's a um, horse track here on the right, and I will go around this tree and follow the path for hobbits, elves, and humans. There we go. It's, it's a slight slope down, and I'm surrounded by foliage. Uh, these are actually... Um, what you call these? I um, don't know the English word. You can, you can eat these. They're these little... Uh, not strawberries. It's just berries. But they're not ripe yet. I think it's... Uh, Still two or three weeks. Also, the downside of this drought that we're currently in, we're experiencing one of the driest spells in, in many, many years, and also one of the hottest times that we've ever measured in the Netherlands and in the whole of Europe. Uh, the downside is that these berries won't grow. They're tiny compared to, to uh, previous years. Um, so I'm heading into the forest now yeah we get some shade i love that so um i'm recording this a few days away from the the uh youth camp that i'm going to uh uh to minister is that the word i'm going to i'm the accompanying priest i think i already told you told you about it so it's only a few days away we're gonna go to uh, germany and uh i have to there are five moments during that week that I'll be talking to them about the theme of uh, of their camp, and that is back to basic. And so, I need to find five Bible Bible texts that will talk about these aspects. And actually, they're pretty simple. I'm just going to keep it close to my own experience in uh, the whole decluttering and what do you really need in life. And I think that's a theme that is not just for middle-aged men. I think that kids can also talk about that and think about that. You know, what is truly essential in your life? And that's one of the challenges, I think, of the gospel, is uh, realizing that you don't need much. You need God. You need friends. You need family. You need love. 
but all the stuff well there's very little that you truly need and so I was thinking of uh, reading with them the uh, first the send off of the first mission of the apostles where Jesus tells them not to bring too much with them so no extra clothes no money you know no extra shoes just sandals and uh uh, that's probably also the experience of these kids because when they go on this camp, they can't take anything with them. They're not allowed to take mobile phones with them. They can't take their uh, energy drinks or whatever. They're <laughs> the kind of the fuel that kids run on these days. Oops, there are some nasty critters here. They're trying to bite me. Big, big uh, mosquitoes. Ooh, that's going to be... We're going to be camping, actually, in Germany. So I kind of assume that I'll be uh, I'll be uh, bitten quite a bit some for some reason insects always love to to bite me so uh, that's that's one text that I think I'm gonna talk about with them and then uh, another one that I was thinking about is the story of the the sick the the um, the paralyzed man uh, that is it unable to reach Jesus because of the crowds and then they go on the rooftop and they open it and lower the man which is uh, I think a nice story that can help me talk with them about well what if you have to go back to basic involuntarily and uh, I'm pretty sure that there are always some kids that have experienced this that have been going through times of illness and uh, and then talk about that. So what if what if that happens in your life? What if bad stuff happens to you that you haven't that isn't your fault? I think it's very important to to talk about that with them so that in case they've already gone through that that experience, uh, they may be able to share that with the other kids. And it's also something that you need to kind of think about even before you were in such a situation, so you won't blame it on God or anything. And uh, and then of course the. The other aspect of the story is the friendship and the loyalty of the, of the friends that help that poor paralyzed man. And, uh, and then, of course, there's Jesus who heals the man and tells him to pick up his bed and walk. And so it's also the uh, when, when you're healed, when you have been given health, whether you've been given it from the start of your life or after being sick, then that health is also part of a mission you've been health is a gift it's a very basic gift but it's been given to you so that you do something with that so that that could be another one i'm on a t junction here you can go to the left or to the right it's really nice and quiet here in front of me the, these are tall trees um and the sun is hitting the the lower foliage in, in between the, the trees. So you've got this kind of Rivendell type of of light here. And uh, some of the leaves are actually, and this is because of the draught, already turning yellow and orange. And so I would not be surprised to, to uh, uh, bump into some elves. <laughs> um, Elrond maybe walking around here. That's, that's, that's what I love about where I live. It's, it's, you've got these magical places, and they're only a, what is it, a 10-minute bike ride away. And, uh, and, and it's like all types of, of uh, uh, environments. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't need VR goggles for that. <laughs> I have it in 3D surrounding me. Plus, when you're walking through the woods, one of the, the, the best things is not just the visual aspect of it, but it's the smell. You know that smell of... It's actually the smell of decay, probably. <laughs> Rotting leaves and everything. But there's kind of this smell that I associate with fairy tales and, uh, and discovery. And that's exactly what I smell right now lovely so that's a text and i'm still pondering that we have a, a number of times we will celebrate mass um which will also help uh, allow me to perhaps expand on some of the aspects of that back to basic stuff uh in the homily but that's much briefer and then i need to find another text like a third text not sure what yet if you have any suggestions let me know on social media <laughs> but i'll pick something and ultimately with these things I don't want to over-prepare because um, I, I really like just talking and just seeing what kind of kids I have and, and what, what their situation is. And usually when, you, when you're spending so much time together and we're doing all these active uh, daredevil kind of stuff, I mean, we're, going to, what, we're, we're going to do laser tag at one point in the, in the woods and there's something else that is pretty exciting, but I forgot what it was. <laughs> but you, you often, after a day or so, you get a good bond with the, the whole group. And then you, I can kind of customize uh, the catechesis on, on the basis of that. So we'll see. We'll also have to see how interactive the group is. And if they are more kind of like passively listening or if I can engage them. But usually those things just happen by, them, by itself by themselves so that's uh, that's the first that's in the upcoming week and then after that i return home on saturday i have mass celebrate the masses in the parish on sunday and then sunday afternoon i go to the airport and hopefully get my flight to spain and i say hopefully because there is a chance that the uh, airline that we have booked will be on strike it's ryanair it's uh, one of those price fighters and apparently the personnel is fed up and sick and tired having to work so hard for for very small wages and the inability to uh to unionize um and of course when you try to fight the when you're a prize fighter you want to somehow you need to make your money back and that's what they usually exploit the personnel i have no other words for it i mean when you read that, uh, for instance, the stewards and stewardesses, I'm not, I'm not sure what the current word for that is, they only get paid the moment the airplane is in the air. And before that, they're all helpful and helping you and, and smiling and greeting you. And they have to be there like an hour in advance. They don't get paid for that. They only get paid the moment the wheels uh, uh, don't touch the tarmac anymore. It's crazy. And and they stop paying the moment the, the airplane lands. lands. And this is apparently something that's very custom in in uh, the world of, of airlines. But it's just weird. It's weird. And they're really underpaid. So anyway, I support them, but I still hope they won't uh, mess up my vacation. <laughs> the reason that I'm panting a little bit is that I'm climbing a small sand hill. And... Uh, walking in the sand, climbing up a sand hill or a dune actually this is a dune, it's kind of hard but from here I've got a nice vantage point over the sea of sand in front of me on the horizon it's delineated by uh, 
by trees. There are two people sitting in the sand or picnicking or, I don't know, reading books. I don't blame them. Actually, I expected there to be many more people on a beautiful day like this. Because it feels like, it's like the beach. There's just, there's not a, there's no sea. But it feels like the beach and it's beautiful. Um, I think R2-D2 and C3PO would be right at ease here. What makes you think there's settlements over there? Let me go through these push these branches away there we go and we're out in the open again I'm going to go back to the shadow because the sun is still pretty hot so we're going to Spain we're going to Valencia Um, I have no idea it's the first time I go on vacation without knowing anything about where we will end up of course last year I thought I knew and turned out that the cottage that we rented was uh, let's let's put it this way it was worse than i imagined and uh oh gosh <laughs> just the amount of insects in that house i think there were more insects in the house than out, out outside of the of the, the the farm anyway um and the other uh, question mark is what kind of weather are we going to have in spain because currently spain is experiencing temperatures of above 40 degrees celsius and according to the forecast for next week it may hit 50 degrees which is way is above 100 degrees fahrenheit and uh that's of course if that house doesn't have air conditioning and it's, it's actually quite likely that it doesn't have because I don't think it's, I think it's like a vacation house older people and uh, so there's no, normally nobody lives there so I kind of think it's unlikely that they have air conditioning it's, it's just not it's very uncommon in, uh, in Europe well if it's 50 degrees Celsius outside we're not going to have a very nice vacation. I can just hope that we'll, we'll rent a car with air, air conditioning, but <laughs> chances are that we'll be sitting in the car all day long. <laughs> well, we'll see. And that's for uh, that's about 10 days. It's 12 days, actually. It's a bit longer than last year. And then I return home, and that's when the new season starts, the new television season. And uh, oh, there's a biking track here. That's a... Uh, mountain biker passing by I'll just follow him to the right it's one of the advantages of the biking tracks is they're easier to walk on so uh, I'm looking forward to to my vacation there's always a stress I don't know if you have that too when you're approaching the date that you're gonna leave that's when you start to realize but oh my gosh I still have to empty my inbox I still have to do this or that and uh, in previous years I would sometimes completely panic and go in overdrive and work late hours to finish everything and uh, I still have that let's say I mean and I'm in that situation your work is never finished there's always this that you wanted to do or that that you wanted to do but for some reason this year I'm much more relaxed and I'm thinking well whatever I can do I'll do and I still have some Stuff that I will talk about later on in this show that I'm uh, that I may be able to uh, to do before I leave. But if not, it'll wait. It'll still be there in a couple of weeks. There's no real super deadline or pressure. I mean, we're going to have a very busy end of the year, and uh, we I still have some some concerns about uh, how we're going to 
edit every all the material. Um, although we, we we have a, we have some plans for that, but it still needs to materialize. There are some other things uh, going on that uh, uh, may also add some extra work after my vacation. But it's I don't know. There's something in my mind that has changed. Um, it, it it's this. I think this deep feeling that I do plenty, I do plenty, I do enough work. And just like anyone else, you can only do what you can do. And nobody expects me to do the impossible. So whatever I can do, I will do. And things that I can't finish in time, well, we'll do that later on. It'll have to be canceled or postponed. Not too worried. Same thing for for the shows. I'm recording this now. And I'll likely probably record something during my uh, trip to Spain but I don't feel any pressure to go and sit down for hours and hours and pre-recording all my shows like I've done in the past Um, it's not the most important thing right now uh, for me to to do that because I know that you too you, you, you go on vacation you take some time off I do that too and I don't think there's anything wrong with that nor do I think that when I return and I haven't provided you with pre-recorded shows every every week that all of a sudden everybody will be gone and nobody will listen to my shows anymore of course not it's one of the advantages of having people being subscribed to your feed that whenever there's new content it will show up and in the meantime you can always re-listen to stuff or or listen to other stuff I'm not worried so, and I, I, I just feel how, how much more relaxed I am and, and happier. I don't feel that pressure of, you know, my, my value in life is not determined by my output. And of course, my output is valued, and I value it, and I love it. But it's not, um, <laughs> it's not that I have to perform every single week and have the steady output in order to to do my job or to be able to contribute to other people's lives. And so that that is a menta- like in my mind I I feel much more um re- assured of myself, sure of myself that I'm doing I'm doing good stuff and I like it. What's you know what's there is no problem. <laughs> and uh and that also translates to this another thing that I wanted to mention here and talk about a little bit is um the uh the my changed attitude to uh towards um giving feedback and that happened to me a, a number of times these past two weeks uh where people ask me for feedback um i'll give you an example uh there, our pastoral, pastoral team is currently thinking about how they're going to um lead these two parishes um and it's it's a massive undertaking and a lot of work needs to be done uh, especially when it comes to unifying all these separate churches and communities. Um, and so they are going to, while I'm on vacation, they'll have a, a day where the pastoral team, of which I'm not a part, I'm an assistant priest, uh, will get together and together with the new pastor, they will reflect upon the, the, the big challenges and also the problems that they need to solve. And so since that was taking place in my vacation, nobody asked me anything. I didn't, I didn't, really get involved or anything like nobody's I don't, I don't want to give them unsolicited feedback on uh, 
how I see the, the, the situation. Of course, and I only have a very, very partial view. However, just two days ago, I got this email for one of the team members asking me for, hey, do you have any, do you have like a few quick thoughts that you can still write down uh, for our, for our uh, day of recollection and, and discussion? So I was like, sure. So I sit down and I write like two pages of comments. I was like, well, here's what I see there. These are the strengths of the parishes, but these, and it's mostly of a lot of applied knowledge that I have or experience of um, how I've made choices in the, these past two years now uh, that brought me to where I am. And it's all about prioritizing, <laughs> knowing your priorities. Well, the first thing is, you know, you need to know your mission. What is the, the core mission? And then from there, what are your main priorities? Well, if the core mission is to be able to be close to people in the name of Christ and you want to be a haven where people can find rest and can feed their souls and everything, well, the first thing you need to make sure is that you're still around to do that. Oh, wow, I think I've... I've taken a wrong turn here and uh, now I am on a crossroads and I don't know where I came from I'll go this way I'm, I'm pretty sure certain that I didn't come from this way so let's explore um, there's sand dunes here on my right and this path kind of curves in between the trees around that desert so I more or less know where I am I know where my bike is more or less so hopefully I'll find it back before the, before sunset <laughs> This is also spider time. You've got these traveling spiders. Did you read that? Spiders can actually use electromagnetic fields to navigate. So they kind of fly from one area to another by spinning a thread, which of course will give them uh, the ability to be picked up by the wind, but then they actually use, I don't know know about the technicalities, but electromagnetic fields to, to be able to navigate. Whoa, there's a big group of bikes coming my way here. (laughs) <laughs> like 25 bikes. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> hey, that's a priest. <laughs> that's her pastor. <laughs> Must be one of my parishioners. Um, so the... Um, well, now I'm totally... I, I got, out, I got uh, sidetracked. What was I talking about? <laughs> oh, yeah, well, the, so the... You, you, one of, you need to be around. So, and, and one of the biggest dangers, I think, for a parish is that the uh, younger parishioners are staying away. We've got still quite a few kids that do their first communion, but afterwards you don't see them anymore. And so I, I told them, you really have to put that on... The, that's your number one priority, to make sure that you reach that younger generation. If you don't, then you're gone five years from now and i i think that in in my parish and i i'm afraid that this is also the case in many other parishes this is still like a side activity yeah we got to do something for kids but it's not a main priority and so they do organize things but it's also it's always isolated it's not part of a larger strategy and when you work in the media like i do always the thing the question you always ask yourself is how can I forge relationships that that last? It's not about the 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 viral hit. It's I mean that's nice, but it's all about retaining viewership or listenership or 
audiences. And so in order to retain, you need to know what, what you do after the viral success. So if you compare First Communion, First Communion Mass, where all these kids are there with their parents, if that's the viral video, you need to have a plan what you're going to offer as content so that they come back. And that will never be 100%. I've, I'm, I'm, I, I want to be realistic. But at the same time, it can be much more than zero. And so, but you can only make that happen if you decide that that is your top priority and that you actually uh, enter an iterative process where you constantly, first of all, you need to know, okay, so what percentage do we want to try to maintain or keep in a relationship with how how many kids do i want to have in church the day the, the week after they do their first communion and then you you constantly come back to that so where are we now do we have more families in the in, in our church do we reach more families have we do we uh, if not how can we improve what we did so where did it go wrong uh, can we come up with other initiatives as long as you know that that is your core mission to, to reach that younger generation, then you will succeed to a certain degree. If you don't make that to core priority, then you'll, you'll lose it in advance. It's the same thing with like health and weight loss. If I hadn't told myself at one point, okay, I'm going to run that marathon of Amsterdam, but in order to be successful, I need to lose 20 pounds... 20 American pounds, so 10 kilograms, because I can't lug around all that blubber and, and still run a healthy marathon, then I make that a top priority, which means I'm not going to miss my training rounds. I train six days a week. That's a lot. I've never followed uh, uh, a training schedule that is as intense as what I'm following now. But I make time for it. And if I have to wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning on Sunday morning so I can run 18 miles before Mass, that's what I will do. And yes, I will be tired. But if I don't tell myself every morning, this is your top priority, go for it and sacrifice the irrelevant stuff too so that you can reach that goal, I would have never lost so many pounds in such a short time. That wouldn't... I wouldn't be able to run as fast as I can run now. I run better than I did when I started training for my first marathon. And I was like 15 years younger than I am currently. So it's all... Of, and so I, I wrote down a lot of that stuff also about, you know, it's... Uh, um, you have to have an overall plan for your parish. Don't just react to, inc to uh, incidental occurrences or don't just manage. Don't just maintain... But look ahead. Think as an exercise, what do you want to guarantee five years from now? Which buildings do you want to still have? Which communities show promise and show growth? Which communities are slowly dying? Um, what is their situation? You can't, you can't expect everything to be alive if you don't work in that garden of the Lord with a certain... Uh, with a certain vision of what your garden needs to look like five years five years from now, you can't just let everything grow and and, and just don't and just maintain it. It'll be a wilderness. So you have to make sure that you want strawberries. Okay, so make place for the strawberries. You may have to take away some of the foliage and and uh, and cut down some trees so that they get more light. 
stuff like that. And in the parish, it's exactly the same. In my media work, same thing. If I don't prioritize certain things, and with regards to the future we have, um, then Tridio would not be what it is now, and it certainly won't be what I envision for Tridio in five years from now. If you have been a listener for a long time, and I'm probably speaking to a very small portion of my audience right now, you may remember that in the early days of the, I think it was called The Daily Breakfast, one of those first shows, it's no longer available online, unfortunately, because we switched to hosting providers a few times. But I still have it in my archives. I may have to dig it up. But one day I did like a an imaginary tour of what I imagined back then SQPN, so the, the media company, to be. And, and so I walked around in my own house, or the, the rectory, where I just started to work as a priest. But I- instead of describing the, the, the situation back then, this is about 12 years ago, probably, that I recorded that. I imagined, if everything would go the way I dreamed it, what that house would look like. And so instead of uh, having just rooms where I lived, and uh, like I took them to, uh, to I don't know, I forget which, which part of the rectory I went to. I said, this is Studio A, and you have a green screen here and a table there. There were two cameras, and we've got some lights and stuff. And then I took them up the stairs, and here is our meeting room, and this is where we have our radio uh, studio. And I was describing all that. Just pure imagination. I'd even imagined the colors of those rooms. I was like, every studio needs to have... Uh, a, a, a color theme. So you've got the blue studio, you've got studio red and green and yellow. I, I forgot the, the details. But I always held on to that vision that one day, probably in my 50s, I was already thinking ahead, like, I want to be in my prime when it comes to media production, and I also want to have organized it in terms of having an organization and that not just me as an individual. I want to do that in the years between the age of 50 and the age of 60, because I know that that is when I will have the general overview, probably also the wisdom I will have learned from my mistakes in these early years, and I'll be able to apply that to be successful in, in those 10 years of my life. And that's what I imagine the, the situation to be. And you know what? I actually... I'm almost certain that in a while, I don't know how much time it's going to take, I will record another episode that will be very similar to the one that I recorded back then, 2004, um, of, of, of the studio, of, my, of the, uh, the workplace. And I think it will actually, instead of describing um, a fantasy or an imagined reality... It will be probably almost exactly like I've described it back then. And it's within reach right now. The only thing that I need to do is to make sure that I translate that vision of this is what it's going to look like. This is how many people I want to have working in that organization. And I do have a pretty good idea that I want to aim for a team of, in the next two years, probably around five people and then scaling it up to about seven or eight people. I think that would be the ideal size of the... Hello. 
of the company um, to be able to produce both national and international content, um, video and audio. And I, I know that if I have that very clear vision of where I want to end up, that I now know also which steps need to be taken in order to get there. And a lot of those steps I have already taken. And so it is it's exhilarating. But it also shows me that it, it works. All these insights are not just theory, not just self-help um, slogans, but they do really work. And I've seen that with my health. I've seen it with my media work. And I'm also pretty darn sure that it can also work in a parish. The only downside there is that you have to convince way more people to to enter that process than I have to do when I'm just deciding these things by myself. Here's another crossroads. And uh, over there is a, is a nice field with... Uh, uh, what is it? What's growing there? I think it's corn. And there's some really nice... There's a whole field of uh, small sunflowers here. They're all turned towards the sun. There's a, there's a farm, actually two farmhouses uh, in the distance. Really nice view you have if you live in one of those houses. So I'll just turn to the left here. And hopefully I'll end up somewhere in the neighborhood of my bike. Now I'm truly lost. I have no idea where I am. But hey, it's still, there's still light. So um, it, it's much easier to manage a small media organization than it is to manage a parish with lots of separate churches that have been individual parishes for a long time. That's also They've, they've only become part of a bigger unit uh, recently, and so the mentality is often still like, oh, well, I only know the people from my church building and my community, and I don't care about the bigger picture because, well, it doesn't interest me. It's literally, there's no gain for us to focus on a bigger picture. So, but fortunately, that's also something that I'm much, e- I've, I've grown to, to, to uh, <laughs> that's, it's one of, one of my new, newly acquired aptitudes is to be able to let go of that. I am not the pastor. Wow, here it's really Rivendell. Like these trees are already completely yellow and orange. This one's beautiful. Of course, it's worrisome because it's not supposed to be autumn or fall right now. But I can still enjoy it, even if it's a sign of nature changing and global warming and all that other disastrous stuff. Um, that's weird. This part is probably because this is more. Uh, this part of the forest is is mostly sand, and I guess that because of that, the water, the eventual water, will um, actually disappear in the ground much faster than. Um, when it's a forest with a regular uh, forest, what is it, forest floor composition. I'll just follow this horse track because this bike track is going to the right. I think that will bring bring me even farther away from my bike. So, um, so I'll just let go of that. I'm not pastor. I'll, I'll give my thoughts. Oh, oh, this is a very long detour, actually, to be talking about feedback. So when I wrote that down, I hesitated for a moment to push the, the send button. 
And the reason was that, you know, I was pretty critical also towards the team. I was, you know, very clear, like, I think that the team needs to, you know, be a little bit more business-like in their meetings, uh, uh, be more... (laughs) So I was also kind of criticizing their current way of operating and and also the uh, current operation of the churches, of the parish. So I hesitated and then I pressed send. I was like, you know what? They ask for my take. They ask for my feedback. They don't ask me to say something nice and who is that going to help i just give my feedback and none none of that feedback is meant as a personal attack or uh just being negative it is meant as critical feedback so that it helps them think and i could be wrong as well they may not agree they may have a totally different view but at least they will reflect upon so well if we don't agree with father roderick so what do we think so it's it's part of the process. And if I don't press that send button and I keep it to myself because I'm afraid that I'm going to hurt their feelings, then of course I don't do what they're asking me to do. And that is to give honest feedback. Uh, another example is uh, the meeting that I think I mentioned in one of my shows last week uh, that I had with sacristans. So we've got about six sacristans or something like that. And some of them are new. And uh, I wanted to give them a refresher course explaining... Not just what the, what we should do and how we celebrate the liturgy, but also, more, much more importantly, why. Why is the area around the altar uh, a certain way? Why don't we put flowers on the altar itself? Why, would, why do we keep the altar f- as free as possible of, of, of anything that doesn't b- pertain to the, to the sacrificial liturgy you celebrate on the altar? There were very good reasons for that. And if you explain it, then they'll understand. And so that's, uh, at least in my mind, <laughs> that's what I was thinking. So I was giving them a tour, explaining so many different things. It's fascinating. I thought it would be done in an hour and ended up <laughs> taking more than three hours. Um, but it also made me realize, well, this is one of my tasks as a priest. I'm also a teacher. And if you teach people, if you explain them, why we do the things, then they can explain it to other people. Not to mention that uh, the liturgy is going to improve also, because nothing is more non is it, nothing is more irritating than having to do stuff just because it's a rule. You know, it's it's much easier to to go along with changes when you know what the meaning of that is, what it is supposed to communicate. Because liturgy is mostly communication. So it was a, a, so one of the things that we. Uh, agreed upon was I was looking at the altar and I noticed that they had placed the crucifix there's a big crucifix on the right side of the altar and they put two candles on both sides of the crucifix and then there was a flower you know a bunch of flowers on the altar as well and I said well actually this is this is nice and the previous pastor that had uh, probably uh, given them directions so he didn't want to have the crucifix in front of him. It was, a, it was kind of a small, small guy. And he felt the crucifix was way too big, so he couldn't, he couldn't see the people in the church. So what I said was, you know what, there is actually a rhyme and reason to these candles and the crucifix. The crucifix is there on the altar to remind the priest and the congregation that what you celebrate at the altar is the death and resurrection of Christ. It's the sacrifice of Christ who says, this is my body, this is my blood, given up for you. So it's his sacrifice. And that is why that cross needs to be 
in your face, literally, like in your face, so that you constantly remind yourself that this is not just a, you know, let's break the bread party. It's not a picnic. <laughs> it's a sacrifice. And, um, but of course, Roman liturgy is also uh, reasonable. And in, so in a lot of the manuals that you will, that you can read, uh, it's written, the cross shouldn't be too big. So if it obscures the priest, if it, it obscures the, the congregation, for instance, during the elevation of the host after uh, consecration, if, if there's a big, huge cross in front of that, then people won't be able to venerate Jesus in the, in the Eucharist. So that's not good. So the cross has to be small. So we were looking, I was like, there has to be a smaller cross because this church is built right on the verge of these uh, renewals in the liturgy. So the, the, the altar is a beautiful big heavy stone altar it's placed in such a way that you can celebrate both at orientum so in the direction of the east which is the traditional direction but you can also stand at the other side of the altar and face the congregation that has to be has become customary after the liturgy reforms during the vatican second vatican council so like there's probably a second cross somewhere that is smaller and that so you could you could do both. You could have the liturgy the old way, and you could also have the liturgy uh, in the newer way. And so we searched a bit, and yeah, there was actually we found a cross clearly from the same artist. And then I was looking at the candles. I was like, you know, candles are not decoration for the cross. There's kind of this, this idea that you have to place candles and be. On, on both sides of important things, that's actually not very liturgical. That is an aesthetic choice. But the altar, the candles on the altar, uh, especially at the time when the, the church was built, there was this custom to use different numbers of candles for different types of masses. Catholic liturgy is extremely visual, and so everything is symbolic. And so the two candles are, are there to, to illuminate and mark the altar. And the crucifix should be in the center of the altar. So we place the small crucifix in the center. And I said, the two candles should be on both sides of the altar, both ends of the altar. There should be nothing else on the altar because the altar is the strongest symbol of Christ during, during Mass. And so, but then I noticed that they had also placed two candles on both sides of the tabernacle, which in our church is still behind the altar. And again, I was like, yeah, that looks nice. But it's not supposed to be. These candles are not supposed to be on both sides of the tabernacle. We have the um, the lamp, the, what you call it? There, there's this specific candle that burns at the tabernacle to indicate the, the real presence of Jesus there. But the other two candles, actually, they had the same, they were the same candles as the ones that were on the altar. So I said, you know, Actually, I wouldn't be surprised if we can find two more of those candles and that we will have six candles because at the time they would use two candles on the altar for, for simple masses, let's say low masses. So, for instance, during weekdays, they would use four candles on the altar to um, signal that this is a, um, a high mass. So a Sunday Mass, for instance, you would put four candles so that the congregation visually sees this is a Mass of bigger importance or more, let's say, uh, more solemn. And then you would use six candles 
during solemnities, like the big feast, feast days of saints, you know, like, like the solemnities, of course, and then uh, Christmas and Easter and Pentecost, etc. You use six candles, and then there's oftentimes even uh, a seventh candle, and you would put that on the altar when there's a bishop present. Well, we couldn't find the seventh candle. I don't think that there will be one, because at the, in those days it was very rare that a bishop would visit a parish at all. But we did have six candles. I was like, so why don't we do that? I actually really like that. That is something that is was in, was meant to be part of the of the of this church and of the way that they celebrated liturgy here from the right from the beginning. Why don't we reinstate that and put it back? And so I explained all that and many many other things. And then uh, we leave the church, and then just yesterday. I walk into the church, I had to be in the sacristy, and I see that everything has been put back in the place where it was. So again, Jesus was moved to the side of the altar, which I think is even symbolically, you don't, you don't shove Jesus to the side of the altar. He should be always central. Um, and then the two candles were, again, on both sides of the crucifix. The two candles were put back next to the tabernacle. And the other two candles were were gone, and so I was like, "What the heck? What? I thought we were all in agreement." So I was like, "Okay, so what am I going to do?" I could do. In, I think in previous years I would just think, "Well, gosh, again, uh, people don't want to change, and whatever I do, it's never going to change, and they're all so stubborn." And uh, I would whine, and it'd probably be very angry, but I wouldn't do anything. I'm climbing, uh, again, a sand dune here. There's much, this is a much bigger sand dune than the other one, which is probably an indication that I'm totally at the wrong side of the forest, but it doesn't matter. Ooh, I can tell there's been some horses horsing around here, and they probably ate a lot of spaghetti the evening before. Okay. Um, what am I going to do? I'm going to, I feel like C-3PO right now. I have to cross, actually, these, this whole sea of sand in order to get to the path that will lead me, hopefully, back to my bike. So I'll just do this. Oh, I, I'm wearing sandals. That's the downside. So they're slowly filling up with sand and grit. Oh, well. It's my lot in life. Let's hope I don't bump into any Jawas here scavengers so but that to me was no longer an option i have changed i've become more assertive and i was like okay i need to mention this to these sacristans so i wrote to the sacristan in charge i said i noticed that everything was back the way it was i explained why we changed it do you know anything about that? I wasn't even pointing the finger. And then, in addition to that, I mentioned some other things that I noticed. And what about this? What about that? And again, I was like, my finger was hovering over the, uh, over the send key. I was like, I'm probably going to... I was like, actually, I'm, I'm correcting him, because I was pretty sure that he, d- he did that. And I was also... I had the feeling that he wouldn't like my feedback. Because, of course, he, he changed that back. And, you know, I didn't even ask. I, I put things back in place because, you know, this Sunday, I'm the main celebrant. So it's also a question of authority. As a priest, 
I have a higher authority, and it's, this is not about power, but this is about responsibility. I have a higher responsibility for the liturgy, and I have, this is what I do, is my study. I have to teach people, and if their things are wrong, I have to change them. So, I, I just changed it. I didn't even ask for permission. I was like, this is my responsibility, but I wrote him feedback, and I, and I decided to send it. I was like, you know what? Even if he gets mad at me, well... You know, what's the worst that can happen? If I'm not going to react to this, then they will keep thinking that they don't have to, that my, uh, that what I teach them is only optional advice. And I, th- I think that has been one of the biggest problems in the Catholic Church in my country, is that nobody really cared for the rules. It was something you had to liberate yourself from. And liturgy is self-expression and... Everybody can do whatever they want, and the priest is probably the last person that has a say in, in how liturgy is celebrated, because it's the church of the people, and God's people, uh, you know, good intentions, but it turned out catastrophic. So, send it, and yes, today, uh, people were mad, <laughs> and yes, I don't care. I, I was like, okay, well, let them, let them be mad at me. As long as they do what I say, and they'll have to they'll have to get used to this because there's so much else that needs to change. These are details. There's really there's uh, nobody's even going to notice. And but the bigger changes that we need to do, for instance, more one big change that I'm going to make is I'm going to put an end to all the talking in church. It's every week it gets worse, and people are just talking as if they're on the marketplace. It's ridiculous. Even in the movie theaters, people are more quiet than in church. And that's hampering people to pray. It is set, I know that there are parishioners that come to church early so they can pray. And if someone is chatting with a neighbor behind you, that is going to be detrimental to their, to their prayer focus. And so that's a much bigger change. And I am going to actually preach about that this Sunday. I'm going to tell my parishioners it's over. Ten minutes before the beginning of Mass, we stop talking. And there's going to be silence. And we're going to play Gregorian music for the people that are a little bit stubborn. So that at least there is like an auditory signal that they need to shut up and pray. And it's good for their soul. I mean, I don't do... Again, it's not about power. It's about helping people to do what they're supposed to do in church. And that is to build that relationship with God. You can't build a relationship... You can't talk to God if you're talking to your neighbor. You can do that during, you know, when you're having a cup of coffee after Mass. So anyway, I was like, if I don't send a signal that I'm the one who's in charge here right now, and I'm acting on behalf of my bishop, because that's what, as priests, we are actually mandated by our bishop to uphold what he would do. And I'm pretty sure that my bishop really knows what the rules are, and actually may actually be even less um, understanding and uh, pastoral in his approach. He's pretty kind of, you know, straight as an arrow. <laughs> okay. So, okay. Do I go to the left or to the right? I have no idea where I am. There's just lots of sand and I'm afraid that I'm... I'll just walk, you know, ooh, that sun is setting in the west. I have to move to the southwestern part of the forest in order to find my bike. Oh well, I'll just walk, we'll see.
I have time. And there's some other people who are getting some training or something like that. So anyway, um, I give the, gave the feedback. And, and of course I got some feedback on my feedback. And that's fine. You don't ever, nobody has to necessarily agree with me always. But I do want to let my voice be heard. And if I don't give that feedback, I won't help them. Because they won't grow. Um, the third example was with uh, the negotiations. I, also something that I talked about. Oh, these guys are just picnicking there and having a nice meal at a table. That's great. So uh, third, I was. I think I mentioned these negotiations with my broadcasting company, etc. And so I was also um, uh, one of one of the issues was that I was doing work. And I felt that there, there wasn't a contract, and I had to do a lot of work. And at first, it seemed that they didn't want to pay for it, because they said, well, actually, there's no money. And like, well, you still asked me to do the work. And because there was no contract, I felt I, I wasn't, you know, in a... Legally, I was in a weak position. And I think a few years ago, I would have let it go. But now I was like, oh, wait a minute... I got a business to run. I'm, you know, I can finance a lot of the th stuff that I do with Tridio because of the work that I do for uh, on TV. And I know no one in that industry that works for free. <laughs> this is not a voluntary op uh, uh, operation. It's not a charity. <clears throat> and they make a lot of money, and there is money. They just didn't want to pay it. So, uh, and I'm, I've, I always feel a bit strengthened by Martin, who is. Uh, also, it's nice to have people to to bounce off of. And he too is like, you know what? We're just going to negotiate that and we're going to hold on to this. We have done this work and it needs to be paid. And for months, we've been fighting this. And you, you always try to strike a good balance between, you know, uh, raising your voice and at the same time maintain... Uh, a good relationship because we, we don't we, we don't want to be mean or anything like that it's just that uh, if you do if you work you, know, you need to have a contract and that and it needs to be paid so we, we were trying to stay courteous etc but there was a situation where it felt like there was this glass ceiling we just couldn't get through it and the answer was all the time was no we won't pay for that and so we were trying and trying and trying. And then at one point, there was someone else who got involved. Uh, slightly higher level of responsibility. And again, I was like, am I going to tell that person everything that's going on right now? And what I don't, you know, why I'm, why I'm so, let's say, it's not, we're not talking about a lot of money. But it's the principle that I don't like. That because I'm, yeah, I'm just Father Roderick. You know, he'll work for free. He'll work for super low wages. Well, it's, it's, it's the, for the future of Tridio that I need to be a little bit more demanding when it comes to, you know, the reward for the work that we do. So, I, again, I was like, am I going to give the, that honest feedback? Also about the other people that were blocking this and about what was really going on or not. And then there's always this fear that, of rejection, And that's like insecurity, I think, that a lot of us have. It's like, well, what if I say what I really... If I really say what I think, 
and they'll get mad at me or they'll be, you know... Let's turn to the left again. The path is going in the wrong direction here. I'll just walk through the forest this way. <laughs> um, if, if I don't say anything, then things are going to stay like this. I'm going to be frustrated. And it will also, again, uh, reaffirm the impression that some people probably, or at least apparently have, that, you know, Father Roderick, he'll work for almost for free. And, you know, he, he, he never makes a fuss out of anything. Uh, and that's not the reputation that I want to be. I want to have a, a reputation where people think, that's Father Roderick. He produces quality content that people value, that we value. And so we pay him for what he does. And not like, oh, but he's this, just this priest. And you know what? Bro, priests don't need money. They have the word of God. They don't need to eat bread. <laughs> I don't know what they're thinking. but So I gave that feedback. And I'm so glad I did. Because in no time, that person was like, well, wait a minute. Is that really going on? Well, we're going to change that. Of course they can't. This is not supposed to be like this. I'll, I'll just take it up and don't worry about it. We're going to solve this. And then get all this, these things that start to move. If I had not given that feedback, if I had not been honest and also courteous but but also honest in in giving my take on what was going on then that nothing nothing would have changed and they and i would be frustrated i'm going to take a picture of this This is so beautiful the sun through these beautiful trees it's just too gorgeous not to photograph that of course on a photo it's never as gorgeous as in real life what is it with these, with these cameras? They can never capture the light. It's probably not the camera, it's the software. Uh, let me get a little bit closer. Usually, the closer you get to what you want to, what you want to portray, the, 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 the more impact it has visually. Oh, well, now I've got the sun really straight into the camera lens. It's, uh, let me take... I'll just use the the leaves to hide the sun a little bit. This is nice. Now let's go a little bit closer. It's another tip. Sometimes you have to lower yourself to get some stuff in the foreground, like these branches. They're completely orange because, again, drought and everything. Now see if I... No, that doesn't really... That's not nice. I wish I had some nice mushrooms or something. Even the mushrooms are not growing because of the drought. Ooh, this tree is dead. It's full of spider webs. Okay, that's... No. <laughs> In case of spiders, I'll sacrifice my, my desire to take pictures. I share that with J.R.R. Tolkien, who actually... I read this in a children's tale about his life as a child. I never knew this. One of the reasons that spiders are so prominent in uh, The Hobbit and uh, The Lord of the Rings and so creepy is that as a child uh, Tolkien was bitten by a spider that according to his description as a child was as big as a dragon I knew I liked Tolkien but this was really sealing the deal <laughs> this guy understands me so anyway that was my, my um, talk about about feedback and why if, if you are honest and you have an opinion about something and that opinion is 
is, is measured and aims at the good of the situation or the good of the people, then by all means, never withhold that feedback, even if you have to overcome this fear of rejection. And I've experienced time and again these past few years that being assertive is not the same as being aggressive. And sometimes there's even room for a more aggressive approach. Sometimes you have to get mad or play that you are mad in order to get the message across. Some people are very stubborn. But never fear that if you really believe in what you think and you really want the situation to improve, then don't keep it to yourself. Dare to say what's on your mind. And always have confidence that if you're honest and if you are charitable but also clear and you can absolutely be critical and say things that bother you and and criticize behavior of people. Of course, you never have to write off people entirely because behavior can change. But if you do that, then it will always make a change something for the better. Uh, If only um, it will make you feel better. I have no idea where I am. This is another path. Wait a minute, I do recognize this. This is a horse path. Actually, I may have come from this side. Let's just walk to the right and try to find my bike. I've been talking for more than an hour now, so I think it is time for me to stop. Is there anything else I wanted to share with you? Talked about vacation and stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, gosh, I totally forgot. Normally I share my plans. I've been doing something very fun for in Dutch with the, the, the Deacon John and his wife. Uh, that would probably be a totally different... <laughs> a totally different show. So I'll keep that for another episode. Actually, I could. I could pre-record another episode of The Walk where I'll just talk about that. Then I'll have actually pre-recorded something for you to listen to while I'm on vacation. I may do that. You know what? Cliffhanger. Tune in next week to see if Father Roderick has pre-recorded an episode for you or not. Oh, goodness gracious, this is totally the wrong side of the forest. This is Seuss. These are the first buildings of of the town. I'm completely off track. I'll have to walk back for several miles now to go to my bike, which could give me ample time to record another podcast. Okay, well, you'll wait and see. Thanks for listening to this one. Have a great week, and I will talk to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye.